The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hood Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying?, what is Chen selling? Uh, you can subscribe to both of those letters by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Uh, you do have to put your name on a waiting list for Chen's letter, and it will not be until the first the first uh, 10 days, I believe it is the first 10 or 15 days of the new calendar quarter when uh, Chen will be accepting new subscribers. You can subscribe, however, at any time to my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks at miningstocks.com. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, and I uh, would invite each of you to keep your questions and comments coming to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, uh, taylor at gmail.com. Also, you can follow me on Twitter under jtaylormedia is the handle there, jtaylormedia. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Caden Resources, Avino Silver and Gold Mines, Columbus Gold Corp., Cornerstone Capital, and Wellgreen Platinum. We will be talking to David Wolfen, the uh, Chief Executive Officer of Avino Silver and Gold Mines, the company that's doing very nicely in Mexico, increasing its silver and gold production very dramatically. Uh, a very good story um, that uh, I think you're not going to want to miss when David comes uh, to join me at about uh, oh, 10 or 15 minutes from now. I've titled today's show, A Street Smart Equity and Gold Market Forecast. So, ep- the... Um, Today joining us will be Ron Paul, uh, Daniel McAdams, Peter Granich, and David Wolfen. They're all return guests. And for the first time, I'm going to be speaking to a Swiss gold guru, Claudio Grass. Uh, he'll be with me during the second hour, as will um, 
and and that's when we'll also be speaking. Uh, actually, Ron Paul will be an interview uh, with Ron Paul uh, by Larry King. Will be airing on the second half, uh, the second hour of today's show. Uh, Daniel McAdams and uh, uh, and Mr. Grass will all be with me in the second hour. Um, last week we talked to Dr. Robert McHugh, and he explained why he thinks that we are facing the the mother of all equity bear markets. Actually. Uh, even as precious metals should do better. Uh, while Dr. McHugh is really armed with a strong formal education, powerful computers, and loads of charts and a knack for reading them, Peter Granich, uh, who will be with me at about half past the hour, has not needed formal education to post a masterful track record in detecting major turns in markets. He has an uncanny sense of market turning uh, detection uh, dating back to 1987, actually, the 1987 stock market crash, Peter simply has a gift for reading the markets, and he has a sense for market turns uh, that will rival the best of technical analysts, in my view. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what Peter has to say at this point, especially given the views of Dr. McHugh last week. What will, Peter, what will Peter's view be on the equity and debt markets as well as the precious metals markets? So we'll, uh, I think it's very important uh, that you stick around and listen to what Peter has to say about that. At this point in time when gold and silver markets are sharply lower, I believe an opportunity exists to pick up shares of good companies at bargain basement prices. And one company that has been doing very well with its silver and gold mine in Mexico, and as I just noted, uh, is Avino Silver and Gold Mines. They are a sponsor to this show. That company, uh, under the leadership of David Wolfen, has been growing its uh, silver production very dramatically uh, and uh, will be doing so in the next couple of years as well. company also just picked up uh, some distressed assets in British Columbia that I think look very interesting as well and could also enhance uh, the company's gold production going forward. So I'm really pleased to tell you that David, uh, that David actually will be with me today, David Wolfen. He'll be joining me in just a few minutes after our first commercial break. Uh, to talk about Avino Silver and Gold, and that company's shares, uh, as I checked as we went to Mark, as as we started to go to uh, uh, on the air a few minutes ago, was at around a dollar fifty in U.S. funds. Uh, very few shares outstanding, so it's a really mini capital company. Trades on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, and so it's easy for Americans to buy that stock. In the second hour of today's show, as I mentioned, uh, I will be uh, airing an excellent interview with Ron Paul by Larry King. The interview is nearly a half an hour long, but it is vintage Ron Paul. He's explaining the connection between our fraudulent monetary system and America's foreign policy. And he also discusses his son's presidential aspirations and has some comments about Hillary Clinton and a lot more. So I think you'll find the interview with Ron Paul very, very interesting. Uh, actually, next week I expect to have Ron Paul as a guest, as a live guest on this show during the first hour uh, of my show. He uh, he's let it be known that he really wants to explore and talk about this idea of the Swiss referendum on gold, which uh, would require the Swiss central bank to physically hold gold equal to twenty percent of its assets. Now, this could be a really big deal if that referendum passes. So I can understand why Dr. Paul wishes to talk about that issue next week. But getting back to this week's show, in preparation for Dr. Paul's appearance next week in the second hour, um, 
that is the second hour of today's show, I will be speaking uh, with Claudio Grass. He's a Swiss gold merchant and gold guru. Uh, he, he will really tell us what the Swiss gold referendum is all about, what its chances are of passing, uh, and what it might mean to not only the Swiss economy, but to the global economy, if indeed uh, the Swiss people do uh, vote for the Swiss gold referendum. Also during the second hour of today's show, Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity will be with me to talk about a very important speech that Vladimir Putin made last week and to provide an update as well on the latest events in the Ukraine and the Middle East. Regarding the gold and gold shares, uh, I suppose I'm beginning to sound a little bit like a broken record when I tell you that I think now is the time to take a serious look at junior gold and silver mining companies. And when I tell you that I think gold and silver markets uh, are just about bottomed, well, you might say, I've heard that one before, Taylor. I've heard you say that many times over the last several weeks. But for the first time in quite a while, Charles Nanner at least has a buy recommendation out on gold. His first target is $1,260. And as I looked at the market right before going on the air, it was trading at about $1,228, $1,228. As far as silver goes, Nanner expects a short-term bounce as long as the second uh, as long as uh, silver doesn't fall below $16.80. Robert McHugh, uh, regarding the metals, had the following to say in his technical work uh, just yesterday. He said, and I quote, with regard to gold, he says, while the HUI key trend finder indicators remain on a sell signal, what is interesting this weekend uh, is we see a growing bullish divergence between the HUI index, the 10-day average advanced decline line indicator, and mining stock prices. This suggests a bottom is arriving in mining stocks and precious metals that will lead to a new rally leg of some significance. New buy signals in the HUI, PPI, and 30-day stochastics would likely signal the start of that rally, end of quote. Well, as a guy who has been around for a long time trading gold shares, I can tell you many times in the past, while we were waiting and waiting and waiting for the gold bull market to resume, I can remember once it did take off, I can remember looking at shares and I said, I should have bought those shares back there when they were 50 cents. Now they're at $5. I don't want them any longer. Uh, And so what I'm trying to say is now I do believe is the time to take a serious look at gold shares, keep some cash around so that you have firepower to pick up more when the time comes. Uh, but, uh, you know, with the Toronto uh, TSX uh, S&P gold share index selling at around 160 which is akin to where it was selling when gold was $400, with a triple bottom for this index over the last 10 years and with a, real, with a triple bottom over the last three years at, a, at around 160 it's hard for me to see how the gold shares have very much more uh, risk to the downside. Uh, and with the financial stress rising once again, I think that we're likely to see a rise in the real price of gold, which is the most important metric with respect to gold mining profits. If the real price of gold is going up, as we've seen before, then gold shares uh, or the profits of gold mining companies go up and gold shares go up with those rising profits. I would like to mention, uh, before we go to our break, uh, one company that I talked about in my newsletter last week that I'm going to call my stock pick of the week, and that's StarCore International. National Mines traded in Toronto and in New York under the symbol 
uh, well, actually, in Toronto under the symbol SAM, in New York under the symbol SHVLF, where you can buy it as I have, it's at 13 cents right now. 146 million shares outstanding. The company just paid a two cent dividend uh, that for the 2014 fiscal year ending uh, July 31st. Uh, it does expect to continue paying a dividend, though perhaps not as uh, high a percentage. It actually was about 50% of last year's profits it paid out. Uh, in dividends. It does expect to continue paying out dividends. Uh, it is a debt-free company. Its balance sheet is very strong. Got around $13 million in working capital at the present time. The reason I've liked this story so much uh, is not so much because of its 30,000-ounce gold equivalent production. That's a pretty small mine. Uh, they've been able to turn a nice profit on that going back several years. But one of the reasons I really in addition to the dividend and profitability, uh, the thing that I liked about it was that uh, Peter McGraw, who's a very well-known geologist in Mex- Mexico, uh, has really uh, been very bullish on the exploration prospects for the San Martin mine, the possibility of that mine turning into some uh, to a very major discovery, uh, possibilities on that mine. But now, uh, in this uh, really bad market for junior gold stocks, companies with some money and some staying power are able to scoop up assets very cheaply, and that's exactly what StarCore seems to be in the midst of doing. They'll be picking up uh, the uh, acquiring another company for a very small number of shares, relatively small number of shares, and they have several assets that look extremely promising. One is the uh, Toyabe uh, property in Nevada, which uh, is really a Cortez Hills and Pipeline deposit lookalike. Uh, still early days to be sure, but there's 173 ounces of gold have been outlined on that property. So there's several reasons that I really think this is one you might want to take a look at at 13 cents uh, in U.S. money. Uh, so in summary, there's just several reasons that I really like this. It's it's profitable. It uh, has great upside potential. Uh, and it's paying a dividend, and it's very inexpensive. I don't think uh, these this share price will last long once the bull market resumes in silver and gold. Well, there are many more uh, companies that I'm talking about on my list now. I, I, again, uh, I feel a little bit like a kid in a candy store when this gold mine, uh, gold market turns around. I think there's going to be some huge profits made with these penny mining stocks. I know it's hard to get excited about them now with a three-year bear market, uh, but one that I also like, an awful lot, and is on my list in my newsletter, is Avino Silver and Gold Mines, which is also doing exceptionally well with its silver and gold mine in Mexico. And uh, I'm really pleased uh, to have David Wilfin uh, scheduled to join me in just a minute or two after we come back from our first commercial break. So uh, don't go away. We'll be right back with David Wilfin. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Production of platinum and palladium is heavily concentrated in South Africa and Russia. Rising costs, labor strife, and ever more challenging underground mining conditions have led to serious and ongoing supply deficits. 
New sources of PGMs from stable regions are needed to meet the increasing global demand. Wellgreen Platinum's PGM Nickel Project in Canada's Yukon hosts one of the world's largest concentrations of platinum, palladium, and nickel. Excellent management, favorable jurisdiction, strong supply and demand fundamentals, and near-term catalysts. Visit wellgreenplatinum.com to learn more. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again David Wolfen. He is the president and CEO uh, and director of Avino Silver and Gold Mines. He's uh, been in this business for uh, some 26 years. Uh, he learned the business from the ground up, uh, starting as a geologist. Uh, he assisted in Nevada, metallurgist assistant at the Avino Mine in Mexico, and later in a number of mining and exploration-related capacities. And in the late 1980s, David worked on the floor of the Vancouver Stock Exchange and for uh, several brokerage houses, gaining solid information in the financial side of the industry as well. So he brings with him a well-rounded background, and uh, he has, his father uh, was uh, really worked on Avino Mines. I've known his father for many, many years, Louis Wolfen, uh, a legend in the Vancouver mining uh, circles uh, in earlier days, and uh, also with uh, various other companies, Levon um, uh, Levon Resources, I believe, or Levon Mines, I forget the exact name, and Braylorn Mines, which now comes into into play, and we'll be talking to David a little bit about the Braylorn Mines as well, which his father was involved with years ago. Uh, but Avino Mines is traded uh, in New York and Toronto under the symbol of ASM. I looked at it a little earlier today. It was trading at $1.32 in U.S. money. Uh, there's about 32.6 million shares outstanding, so it has a very modest, mod- uh, very modest market cap of around 43 million dollars. Uh, its mines, uh, its its main primary uh, operation is in uh, Durango, Mexico. Uh, and it has been very successful. It's a, a mine that dates back to 1558 when the Spaniards found this deposit and uh, it was first mined by the Spanish all the way back in those days. Uh, so it's got a rich history, and uh, but more importantly, it also, I think, has a rich future. It certainly has been doing very well with David Wolfen uh, at the helm. So welcome, David. Really good to have you back with me again. Great to be here. Thanks, Jay. Really good to have you again. Uh, I just uh, want to ask you if you could just sort of summarize your mining operations in Mexico. Uh, you have, uh, I think, a, a couple of different mines down there. Tell our listeners uh, about those mines. How much are you producing now, the cost, and so forth? Okay. Well, Avino has a rich history. There's probably over a dozen mines, small mines that exist on the property. So we've uh, reopened one called the San Gonzalo Mine. And we've, um, I'm going down to the property next week, 
to basically christen the reopening the Avino mine. So uh-huh. the mill is uh, processing at uh, uh, 500 tons per day, and next week we'll be at 1,500 tons per day. Wow. Um, last year we produced uh, about uh, 900,000 ounces of silver equivalent. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, this year we're on pace to do 1.2 million, and next year we have a target of 3 million. So wow. we're growing. You know, yes. and our costs, uh, you asked about, yeah. uh, last year our cash cost, uh, per silver equivalent was $10.16 and the all, all in sustaining was 14.39. But we've been able to reduce our costs this year, um, renegotiating consumables and power supply and that, and so forth. So our cash costs in the first two quarters are under $9. And all in sustaining is under 13. Wow, that's really good. So even with uh, very low silver prices, you're still uh, showing a nice gross margin. Sure, and the and the uh, we expect our cost to drop even further with bringing Avino back online because you have economies of scale. And yeah, also I was going to say we just yeah. got uh, full service uh, 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 power throughout the mill. Uh, one of our circuits was operating on a generator, so now it's it's running off the grid, and the, the power uh, cost will drop in half. Wow! So there's a, a lot to be a lot to be optimistic about here with the, with those kind of uh, increases in production and and reduction in cost. Uh, what uh, three million three million ounces that that puts you in sort of a, a mid tier or upper level uh, silver producer almost. I, I don't know where that puts you with amongst your peers, but uh, that's a pretty sizable uh, production facility. Absolutely, and we have other uh, areas on the property we want to expand even further. We have an old tailings pond with uh, 6.7 million ounces of silver in the bottom and uh, 40,000 ounces of gold, and this is the oxide tailings from when it was open pit uh, mined in the 70s. So we did a PEA on reprocessing those tailings through heap leaching and um, and that would add another 1.4 million ounces of production, take us well over 4 million ounces a year. But that's a few years down the road because it's an active tailings dam and we're just designing a new one. So once we decommission it, then we can look to move that project forward. Yeah, so you said there's 12, uh, there's a number of mines, there's uh, old mines that were mined in the past. So you have a lot of exploration potential then, I guess, sure. there I've got uh, a team in, of geologists heading down there in two weeks. There's three of them that are go- in, uh, independent and consulting geologists that are going down to meet our team down there to go around to look at the regional areas. We basically mothballed exploration um, after the 2008 financial crisis. We wanted to focus on getting cash flow. So now we've mm-hmm. got the mine up and running. We've got the expansion almost uh, behind us. In the next few uh, months, it'll be done. So next year, we're going to look to do regional exploration around the property. Wow. So that's, uh, that's very interesting. What do you, um, so what sort of cash flow and what sort of balance sheet uh, do you have now? You, you have some cash. I guess your cash resources, we don't have to worry. You've done a remarkably good job of uh, 32.6 million shares outstanding, which I think is incredibly tight. Um, well, so do you, you, we have just under 35 million because we just issued 
um, about 1.7 million for the Braylorn acquisition. Oh, okay, yeah, all right, uh, sure, fair enough. But you're getting something in return for that. Uh, why don't we just talk about that now? The, uh, the sure. Braylorn acquisition, and we'll get back to the operations in Mexico. But now that you bring it up, the Braylorn, uh, t- tell our listeners about that. That's a gold mining property. It's an underground high grade. Yeah, mine, I, I mean, believe, right? it's an operating mine. Uh, it's it's operating at basically at a pilot scale, 100 tons per day. Originally, Avino acquired it from Homestake in the early 1990s, but when my father was running the company, he didn't have the, the money to develop it, so he created the new company, Braylorn, and spun the asset out. So we're very familiar with it, so it's just reacquiring what we've already known all along. And it's got a very rich history. It's produced over four and a half million ounces of gold. So it's wow. puts it in the, the world-class category. And it was made up of three mines, the King, the Braylorn, and the Pioneer. The Pioneer was owned by the Guggenheim family. And oh. Pioneer was listed on the New York Stock Exchange in the 30s. It paid dividends oh. for like 15 years. So it's, uh-huh. it's a really high-grade mine. Yeah. Well, what what is uh, so? So, what are your plans with that, David? Well, uh, our I, plans I believe, are yeah. to to maximize production. The permits allow it to go to 500 tons per day, and uh, and this this mine uh, we've got um, the president of Braylord's joining us. He's got a PhD in geology. He was a runner up in the Gold Corp Challenge in uh, 2000 and went to work for a Gold Corp at the Dickinson mine. And then he got tired of commuting from British Columbia. So he, he joined Braylorn back around 2002-2003. He estimated the potential there is in the millions of ounces, but it needs money for exploration and upgrading the mill and, and the equipment there. So that's what we're going to do is bring in our expertise. And the, the size of our company allows us to, to finance equipment and bring in new equipment and really modernize it and upgrade the operation there. So the strategy will be similar to what you employed down in Mexico. That is to focus on cash flow first, get that up and running and, and cash flow positive, and then use the proceeds to explore and develop something bigger, possibly? Exactly. And will the 500 tons per day, uh, I suppose, should bring with it some economies of scale? Absolutely. Over the 100 tons per day. What sort of grades are you looking at there, David? Well, right now uh, they're mining about a third of an ounce per ton, but wow. the average grade of the mine for when it produced the over 4 million ounces was half ounce. So we want to try to find the higher grade lenses as you get down deeper. It, it, the, this is a mesothermal type system, exactly the same as Red Lake District. So these things mm. have roots. They go down deep. Braylorn goes down a mile. And we own the whole camp. So we're exploring the gap zones in between. And so there's not a lot of... Uh, uh, not any dewatering that's required at this point. It's uh, just starting near the surface and working our way down. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, so I guess what I'm trying to grapple with is the um, the capital that's going to be required to get this up and running. Have you any sense of that yet, or is that still something well, we you're just working on? The PEA that was done about a year and a half ago, and it called yeah. for about 17 million to take it up to about 300 tons per day, and then it would sort of self-finance itself from there. So we're looking at that, but we're also looking at how ways of cutting operating costs because labor costs in Canada are expensive and there's shrinkage dope mining up there. So we're looking at more bringing in possibly more mechanized type mining, uh, long-haul mining, which would uh, reduce our operating expenses. 
Do you have a resource there, David? Uh, is there? It's probably not a very large one yet. It's an underground mine, so it's obviously you don't pile up the resources like you do for an open pit project. But what sort of resource do you have there, if any? Uh, yeah, it's pretty small. Um, yeah. I mean, you're talking about, uh, I think there's indicated about 70,000 ounces and inferred about 30,000, uh, 30, mm-hmm. so combined about 100. But mm-hmm. when it was taken over from Homestake pre-43-101, um, it had a, a million tons of a third of an ounce left in the mines. Um, 60% of that's below the water table. So that that would be 300,000 ounces. But we're not even going after those areas at this time. We're just mm-hmm. starting near the surface and going to work our way down. And as as the money becomes available, then we'll look to expand it faster. All right. So that's a, that's a very promising. So you didn't really you didn't really have to give up that much to pick this uh, up. Although I guess you were helping a, a little bit with the financing. Uh, the company was running into some financial issues, I guess, and you helped to keep it going. Is that isn't that how you sort of reentered the picture here? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and uh, so you were the uh, the white knight, so to speak, to help this little company out. And it really, uh, is it's very neat. I think that you, the fact that you've been able to bring this. Uh, back into into the picture because your father was involved with both of those companies and uh, so I said well getting back to Mexico then what uh, I guess you're in pretty good shape there uh, for for growth and lots of exploration potential yep. what are you, do you have some guidance uh, in terms of production uh, this year uh, we're not supposed to um, talk about guidance because okay. the of the lack of a feasibility study. The original, the original feasibility study was done in 1969. <laughs> <So> <laughs> a little outdated. Yeah, I guess so. I guess but, things but have changed a bit. The, the throughput of the mill, you look at what we're, we produced last year, and if you take um, w- uh, the benefit of hindsight, what Avino produced leading up to closure in 2001, you can put all that together and you see what our target, or the target is 3 million ounces a year. Three million ounces a year uh, should bring in some nice, uh, uh, some some nice cash flow, uh, given the costs uh, outline that you just outlined, the reduction of cost with the economies of scale and so forth. Uh, you don't have any need, uh, do you, David, to raise money? You, uh, can can yeah. investors be happy with thirty-five million shares, or do you see the possibility, or do you need a lot higher share price before you'd entertain that idea? Yeah, I mean, uh, last time we raised money earlier this year, it was around two forty, two fifty U.S. So uh, we don't really want to do anything below two. So uh, once the market starts to recover, we'll we'll assess what our requirements are. But uh, mm-hmm. we're not desperate for cash. So we're you know we have the ability to to, to do equity, debt, uh, offtake, hedging. We have we yeah. Can, Look at any uh, source of finance. Whatever is best for the company and the shareholders is what route we're going to take. Well, that's the beauty of a of a company with cash flow. This cash flow positive. You don't have to go out and raise money in these wretched equity market um, with equity market prices where they are. Uh, that you have various options available to you. And this is the kind of company that I think my listeners and my subscribers want to pay attention to. Uh, because you can buy Avino Mines and others like it. Uh, well, no, no two companies are alike, but others that are sort of smaller producers that uh, can grow 
dramatically, percentage-wise, the big guys can't grow nearly as rapidly in percentage terms. Uh, cash flow positive, you don't have to go out and raise money and dilute the heck out of the shareholders, which is, I think, one of the biggest risks that shareholders face in this industry. Uh, and so it's a, I, I have a hard time finding much uh, wrong with this story, David. I, what, uh, what, what, are you, what, are you, what keeps you awake at night, or what would be the, the biggest risk that investors might have to worry about? Well, just the price of silver is the only thing yeah. I can see. I mean, if yeah. it continues to go down, that that wouldn't be good. So. Yeah. Well, it's hard to see. We're uh, as we were just mentioning, uh, Charles Nanner and some of the other analysts that we follow are turning uh, bullish and believe that we've seen the worst of it. And uh, he's looking for a turn in silver very shortly. Let's hope. Let's hope he's right. Anything else you'd like to add before we uh, conclude our discussion today? Oh, just to let people know that we're always available here. If people have questions, they can call or email. And um, your we website, have an open door policy. So we we encourage people to uh, to reach out to us with uh, well, with any of their questions or concerns. And your website, I guess, is uh, they can Google about Avino, Avino Golden. What's the website? www.avino.com. Avino.com can't can't be much easier than that. David, I want to thank you. It's uh, it's a great story. Thank you for sharing it with our listeners. It's been my uh, pleasure. Thank you very much, Jay. Oh, thank you very much. Well, folks, that's uh, we do have to go to a break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking to Peter Grandich, and I think. Um, well, he's known as the Wall Street whiz kid in some circles. He, he's had a great track record, and we'll, have, uh, we'll listen to what Peter has to say about gold and silver and the equity markets, the debt markets, and so forth. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Peter Grandich. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Cornerstone Capital Resources is a prospect generator focused on joint venturing its highly prospective gold, silver, and copper projects in Ecuador and Chile. At its Cascabel Joint Venture in Ecuador, funded by partner Sol Gold PLC, hole five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, grading over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. Cornerstone retains a 15% interest financed through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Symbol CGP on the TS. SXV and CTNXF on the OTC. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questions at gmail.com. 
That's questions, the number four, Taylor, at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again an old friend, Peter Grandich. Peter and I go back, I guess, probably a couple of decades, and uh, I, I hate to admit it, but it's probably true. Uh, but uh, the thing that I, I consider Peter one of my better friends uh, in this industry, he's certainly one of the more honest people that I know in this industry. And uh, honesty, well, you know, I, you know, we we talked last week to Dr. Robert McHugh, who is definitely an honest person. Dr. McHugh uh, has a formal education. He's, I think, very, very good uh, technical analyst and uh, and very strong moral character as well as Peter. Uh, but Dr. McHugh has a more formal education. Peter comes without that formal education, but sometimes I really believe that the people with the more formal educations have more difficulty in assessing what truth is because they've been fed a lot of propaganda to get their, their degrees. They have to give the teachers, the professors, the right answers, uh, the right answers according to what is politically correct, not necessarily according to what is true. And Peter, uh, without that, uh, though, has, I think, an uncanny ability to to see truth, and uh, he has never been shy about telling people what he thinks, uh, and so that's why he's so valuable as a guest. Welcome, Peter. It's really good to have you with me again. It's always a pleasure, Jay. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's it's great to talk to you always, and I'd, I'd like to just maybe you can update our listeners and tell them what you're what you're doing these days because you you've had a lot of different things you've done through your professional life. That's correct. Uh, at the beginning of this year. Uh, I ended uh, publishing the Granish letter that started back back in 1984 and uh, stopped working in the resource market to focus uh, almost full-time in a business I've had for about 13 years down here called Trinity Financial Sports and Entertainment Management. It's a Christian-based firm specializing in business, retirement, and estate planning, both for professional athletes and the general public. My one foot still in the water, so to speak, is I'm still the, uh, I do uh, market commentary for moneytalks.net, which is based in Canada. And uh, last but not least, I spend a lot of time in Christian sports ministry. So that's really where I spend most of my time now. Yeah, it's very interesting, Peter. I think you're, you have some attachment perhaps to the uh, New York Giants, if I'm not wrong, and also the New York Yankees. Is that right? Yeah, it's not the best years to say that because they didn't have <laughs> great years or having great years. But uh, almost for 10 years now, I work uh, doing both Bible study and chapel services for the Giants and on a lesser uh, times with the New York Yankees. You know, I can understand why the guys in the uh, in in professional sports in the NFL. I mean, some people have said it's a, sort of America's bread and circus in a way. It's a gladiator type of sport. I, I watch some of these guys, Peter, in slow motion when they get hit. You know, when they do a replay and they see their bodies just just getting the punishment they take. It, it's not hard for me to understand why some people might be looking uh, to some answers outside of time and space for their. Uh, uh, you know, when they have to face those that kind of punishment, that kind of danger. Yeah, well, I deal a lot with retired athletes, and many of the athletes I deal with played in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and uh, almost to a man, they are suffering uh, substantial physical uh, debilitating injuries, a lot mental and, of course, financial as well. Uh, most players, uh, particularly in football and hockey, didn't really reach what we would call big paydays into the last 10 years. So the players 
certainly back then made more than the average person, but they didn't make the money that basically you put it in the bank and you sit on your tushy for your rest of your life. And yeah. the conditioning that they had back then and the equipment they used was also inferior. So there's a lot of debilitation and there's a lot of proof now of, you know, now the first focusing on all this concussion stuff. But uh, it, it's really sad to see what we're, what we, like you said, we're basically gladiators can hardly walk and talk at this point. Yeah, I think somebody said recently in the, in the NFL, uh, the injury uh, probability is 100%. So for guys that are playing in the NFL, uh, you, maybe just, just, for the, uh, just for the interest of it, could you tell our listeners uh, some of the players that you've become uh, fairly close to, a lot of uh, pretty well-known um, professional athletes? Who are some well, of them, Peter? In our advisory board, because we're in New York, New Jersey base. It's predominantly New York athletes. I would say probably the more recognized names, certainly from the New York Jets, my hero and good friend and someone I think that's finally going to be justified and put in the Hall of Fame, Joe Klecko. Uh-huh. Uh, from hockey status, Ron Greshner, Ken Danico. Uh, we have a Ray. We don't discuss our current clients' names. That's one of the confidentiality things that we sure. do. We, we currently have 23 uh, NFL players as clients, and uh-huh. uh, it, it's an interesting thing. My my partner is a former two-time New York Giants Super Bowl player, and he likes to say that the NFL stands for not for long. And uh, <laughs> people don't realize for every star that you've seen, and it looks like they've done well, there's about 30 or 35 guys that stay around, not even enough to qualify for the pension, yeah. uh, get pretty banged up, and then their health benefits run out, and now we're seeing the, what happened to guys like that 10, 20, 30 years ago. They have enormous injuries and problems, and unless they got a very good job, which carried a lot of great health benefits, uh, their injuries from 20 or 30 years ago have really made them pay a big price. Yeah, well, I can I can imagine that. I mean, I've had a, a boy a boyhood friend that I grew up with up through early grade school who went to Ohio State and played uh, on for the Ohio State Buckeyes as a center, the starting center in his junior and senior year. Uh, was injured when tackling O.J. Simpson in the Rose Bowl, actually. And I know I talked to Johnny recently, and he was having all kinds of knee problems and, and different problems. So it's a that's the way it is. I mean, people go into that sport knowing it, I guess, but it is uh, it is really um, it is really quite debilitating. But uh, anyway, you're doing good work, Peter, and I know what I'd like to get to now uh, is for you to tell us what you think about this amazing bull market in stocks. And we going back to 2009, and you called it right. I remember meeting up with you in Vancouver, listening, sitting in on one of your sessions, and you were telling people, and I was as bearish as could be still. It was uh, probably around March of 2009 or something like that, or January of 2009. You were turning bullish. Uh, now we've had a, quite a run. How much further can this thing go? Well, yeah, uh, because I've had such a, a life and resource and was wrong there the last few years, people seem to forget the market call. I do appreciate it. You're right. When the financial crisis started in 2007, uh, got very bearish, and in March of 2009 said that we were going to have the greatest uh, market rally ever and uh, targeted way back then. Somewhere is around 16,300, 16,500 on the Dow. Spoke about a megaphone top that needed to be put in place. and But began this year uh, turning bearish in the sense that we said, I like to use the first half of the year 
for people to move and greatly lower their exposure to general equity. Uh, I, I, I'll put it very simple. You started at the onset that I'm not an educated man in the sense that I spent a lot of days in school, and I agree with you fully. Uh, I thank my uh, on-the-job education. I believe I understand things better than the academic who went to Wharton Business School and yep. was taught a lot of numbers that really don't work in the regular world. But yep. uh, nevertheless, is my feeling here has been that... Uh, we have really been on a, uh, a cocaine high, and the cocaine is the Federal Reserve, and uh, so long as they continue uh, with uh, what I think is going to have to be QE5, 6, 7, and 8, uh, the market has become accustomed that somehow it only has one direction. And what's been lost sight, and you and I, you spoke about how far we went back, you and I actually go back, believe it or not, to 1989 was the first time we ever did a seminar together. So if you can imagine, uh-huh. that's 25 years ago. Yeah. When we go back to those days, Jay, the, the, the stock market was what it was supposed to be. It was pretty much a market for part ownership of businesses. Mm-hmm. About 85% of the trading on the New York Stock Exchange was individuals, and people were buying stocks because they wanted to be part owners of companies. Yeah, they that were investors. Long ago, that long ago disappeared. The vast majority of people that are participating in the markets, many of them don't even know what the name of the company or what it does. It's because it shows up on some computer program. And uh, because of that, people have lost sight and now think that so long as the Fed is acting in one way, the market can only go one way. And I think they're going to be in for a very big disappointment. I believe we're forming a massive, massive top that's taken many, many months to take hold. And when the final top is in and we go down, it's not going to be down for six months or even maybe six years. It may be down for a generation. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned the megaphone top. Uh, That's something that uh, Dr. Robert McHugh talked to us last week about. He sees a gigantic megaphone top, or he calls it the jaws of death because of the serious uh, problems that arise when you have a massive decline in the equity market. So you're seeing this this megaphone top and a major one as as well? Yeah, well, I I don't believe there's a crash because I think some of the things that have caused crashes before – won't be in the same place to do that. Although I do like to go back to a week ago Wednesday when we opened down 400 points and one of the Fed uh, persons had to come out and make a mention as if, well, maybe we don't have to raise interest rates and that suddenly a surprising number of people showed up in the index futures and drove the market up. Uh That goes back to an incident. I don't know if we have time to tell about it. But what actually happened when you know, my claim to fame started in calling the 87 crash? Yeah, let's talk about that. Because you, when you uh, called that crash, I, I guess you, you ran into some trouble with your boss at that time for saying things he didn't want his clients, your clients to hear. Yeah, it's actually been my uh, prescription to, for people to understand why uh, the coinage that I've called the Don't Worry, Be Happy crowd on Wall Street exists because it was explained to me perfectly at the time by the chairman of the New York Stock Exchange Company I worked for. So it's August 87. I put out a forecast for a crash. The very next day, I'm called up to headquarters. I'm told to either retract it or resign, and I asked why. And in a nutshell, what the chairman said was this. Listen, 90% of our clients are not going to sell everything as you just advised in your opinion. And if they did, and you're wrong, which we think you're going to be, you're going to be the laughing stock to them. 
And mm-hmm. if you happen to be right, and it does, and they don't listen to you, they're going to be in such a bad way, it won't matter what you say after that. <laughs> so let's look at the 10% that did listen to you and sold everything. I suspect that half of them will be too petrified to go back in when you tell them to go back in. And then he said the classic line that is stuck in my mind forever, and that was, Peter, we can't exist with only 5% of our clients benefiting from your advice. Uh, from a pure sales standpoint, he made great sense. It'd be the same as if the Archangel Gabriel showed up at all the chief market strategists' uh, homes tonight and told them God has foreseen a 5,000 decline point in the Dow next week. Even if their hearts took it and believed it and went into their offices tomorrow, I'm convinced that the people that are in charge would never let them broadcast it. It's the same as if I went down to the Chevy dealer and I said I wanted the fastest car, and the Chevy dealer knew it was actually a Ford Mustang. There's no way he's telling me to go down to the Ford dealer. He's going to sell me a Camaro. So (laughs) the bottom line is, uh, on Wall Street, I don't think we could ever get truly objective advice because it's a sales organization, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what capitalist society is about. But we see a constant parading of just the spokespeople for these organizations through much of the financial media and the types of objective third parties who are willing to go against that and are willing to say that at sometimes maybe you shouldn't be in the market or you should be in cash or something, you just couldn't last or work at those firms. So I don't believe the average person can get truly objective advice if they just stayed and listened to the general uh, financial media on most of the, the typical places we know. I call one Tout TV. But in, in general, I think financial journalism is as tilted as the Wall Street itself when it comes to viewing one way. That's why if you ever look at model portfolios from all these firms, it's always just divided between stocks, bonds, and cash. And right. you and I both know there's been many, many times throughout history when any one of those or all two or three of those may have not been the best thing, yet that's all that they have their people in because that way they keep the money captured and earn their income off of that. Oh, no no question about it. And they, uh, But, you know, Peter, it seems to me also the fact that we have moved from a a manufacturing economy, economy in which people actually produce things of value to more of an entertainment economy uh, and one that's not really based on sound money. It's based on fiat money. And so the people that control that fiat money, money system, the, the government and, the, and Wall Street, essentially the bankers, uh, want to keep this game going. They want to keep people in paper assets in the stuff that they can create uh, out of thin air, essentially. Uh, and and it seems to me that the importance of the economy of the stock market to the economy now. I used to be the economy was the main thing that that we were concerned about, and the stock market was a reflection of the economy. Now it seems as though the tail is wagging the dog, almost as if the economy, as if the economy depends. And this seems to be what the Federal Reserve does, because whenever there's a, as David Stockman calls it, the the market throws a hissy fit, as they did just a few days back. Uh, the Fed comes out and says, "Oh, never, never mind. We'll uh, we'll keep QEs coming at you." Uh, so it seems to me that 
that it's not that it's not the same as it used to be. You mentioned back in the days when you and I first met, uh, and earlier than that, I would argue, nineteen eighty seven. I think you would agree is probably a tipping point when the plunge protection team came into being. And your friend John Crudel has talked about that recently. Would you care to just what are your what are, what's sure. your view on that? What, what John brought up, John Crudell is one of the very few financial journalists who aren't part of that Don't Worry, Be Happy crowd. Right. And it was, you know, people forget that while there was a crash on October 19, 1987, October 20th was set to be a much even darker day. We, after the 19th decline, we opened up again substantially lower. And by mid-after, by early afternoon, just about 1245, I remember, 17 of the 30 Dow stocks had still not opened on the New York Stock Exchange. Wow. They shut the Chicago Board of Options Exchange uh, S&P futures pit, but they kept the very small trading contract that traded on the Kansas City Board of Trade open. And around 105, between 105 and 120, uh, 13 of the biggest known financial institutions decided coincidentally to go to the Kansas City Board of Options Exchange and buy index futures to the point where in 20 minutes it drove indexes up equivalent 1,300 Dow points. Wow. And that quickly opened the rest of the Dow 30 stocks and all other stocks on specialists that couldn't open them. And we finished up about 170 points that day, but that's how yeah. close we came. And so when we saw the other day when we were down 400, and in a very short few minutes we turned dramatically up after a bunch of uh, index future options were bought, uh, John wrote about, you know, the plunge protection team looks like it was put into action again. Mm-hmm. And let's understand this. And, you know, when the naysayers and the people that say, oh, there's no such thing as conspiracies and all of that, yeah. we know governments that openly intervene in the markets. Japan has been a notorious uh, yeah. country that openly has intervened. And what, why they think that somehow we don't do it, just like we've read in all issues of all sorts of charges in all sorts of markets and people found guilty most recently in the LIBOR scandal. And somehow people think when it gets to the COMEX, it stops there, that somehow yeah. that doesn't happen there. Yeah. Markets are manipulated all over the place, and I believe governments participate in them too. And it's just become, unfortunately, an acceptable practice. And uh, I don't think there's anybody strong enough or willed enough that could change that. No. Well, um, but, but you would agree that it is a growing phenomenon, Peter, and it seems to me that the more, the more intervention there is, the more that's required down the road because markets aren't allowed to self-adjust. Would you agree with that? Well, what I, what I do know is this. If I had a child and when he left my house, he, was, he had a lot of money. And by the time he came back, he was dead broke and owed a lot. I'd be very unhappy with him. Well, the United States in our generation, yours and mine, has gone from the largest creditor nation to the biggest debtor nation. Right. So I don't know how these guys still come out and say America's greater than it's ever been, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And the problem with that is, and it's an old story, and you know I've talked about this quite often, my poster child for what's wrong in America is public storage. Our parents mm-hmm. never needed public storage. A, there weren't 5,000 square foot homes down every street. There was only the very wealthy that had homes the size of that. They didn't need all this stuff now that we have so much of that we have to pay people to keep it in storage for us besides in our own homes. And we've become a society of consumption. You brought it out. We have gone from a very strong manufacturing uh, uh, society and nation to a, con- to a consuming, uh, lower income, 
uh, entertainment type of stuff. And what's happening is people say, well, look, the oil price came down, great saving for consumers. Do you really think America's going to take that saving and say, you know what, this is a good time for me to pay down my debt? No, they're nope. going to take whatever money they saved on gas and spend it someplace else. Right. And, and yep. that's the unfortunateness. And, and one other thing I think is a very missed point that isn't spoken of, Jay. Where is it that the, the Federal Reserve is supposed to be in charge of our economy? Where has fiscal policy been, not just in this administration, but going back uh, two, three, four administrations? You talk to business. I have a, I deal with business people from small mom and pop stores to, you know, four or five hundred million, even, you know, close to a billion dollar businesses that are privately owned. And what they say almost to a man and woman is never has it been more difficult to run and own a business in America, it is right now. And Washington has just been totally abyss in terms of any real f- new fiscal policy. And this next election is only going to make that worse. It's going to be more of a polarization. There's going to be more of a less of a willing for both sides of the aisle to walk together. And the Federal Reserve has taken upon itself. And now everybody thinks that the moment there's a hiccup or the economy could go off a bit, imagine this, having a recession, a normal economic part of a cycle, uh, the Federal Reserve must do something in order not to let that happen and keep stock prices up. And that, yeah. that is just a recipe for disaster. And, well, Jay, we may be wrong, and it may have to go 500 points higher or something, but when the downturn comes, like I said at the onset, it's going to be for a very long time. You can't sin for decades and expect to pay the price in a matter of just weeks or months. Well, I don't disagree with that at all. Peter, we're almost out of time. I've got to ask you in the next minute uh, a quick forecast on gold and silver. We are close to a major triple bottom. We no doubt that less than a few weeks ago people had kissed it away. There was hard to find a bull. But until we get above the 50-day moving average and then the 200-day moving average, it's just a threshold. So to be conservative, wait for a close above the 50 and the 200-day Probably that would be around 1,200 when it's all said and done. If we get there this before this, the end of the year, we're going to see a credible rally. Everybody's short. Everybody's given up on gold. We need to get above that to change and get the shorts out of the market. And if and when we do, I think we're on to rep marches back to the old highs. All right. Well, thank you very much, Peter. We're out of time, unfortunately. I hope to do it again, though, sometime in the near future. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Jake. Folks, that's all for the first hour of today's show, but there is a second hour at Jay Taylor Media. We're going to air an interview with uh, Larry King did with Ron Paul. Also, I'm going to be talking to Swiss gold merchant guru Claudio Gras and also Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. So go immediately to jtaylormedia.com and click the podcast button to listen to these interviews. And uh, uh, until then, uh, I'll see you there. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. 
The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. 